What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another hot mess of sweat and grime tonight. The cross with the mustache, the man that gives the ride. Woo! Matt, motherfucking Totten. How you doing, y'all? The man with the hot pipes and the big, bald forehead. That's it. Brian Furness. What's going on, everybody? Here, fully, fully shined up for the show. <laughs> <laughs> And on the phone tonight, guys, we well, got... On the mic, oh, running yeah. the board is Rick the Dick Valco. What's happening? Yeah. And, and on I, the phone tonight, you special guest, Vince from... He is the president of Ajax Paving down in Florida. Thank Vince, you, Vince. Yeah, thanks for, for being on the show. Tonight. We appreciate it. I'm glad I'm here. So tonight's <laughs> going to be a little bit different. Of an episode, you know, as you guys are all familiar with, we typically are are pretty chipper and getting right into off the, the dick, wall. Dick Don't jokes right next. off the bat. Uh, but one of the topics that we have consistently seen really good feedback on uh, that people in the in, in the industry are really craving more information on is mental health and the traits. And uh, through the dirt, the the show that I host on YouTube, uh, I came into contact with Vince. Vince has a very compelling story uh, and does a lot of outreach and speaking on mental health and the trades. And so that is kind of what brought us here tonight. And so Vince, I would love to have you introduce yourself and just kind of walk us through your story. Oh, uh, you want me to go to the beginning to the end? It'll take a while. That's fine. Hey, we this got is all a night, buddy. Form podcast, so you take as much time as you need. All right. Well, hey, I began in this industry in 1985 as a engineering technician breaking Ooh, concrete. I was just so- popped out of my mother's womb. That's, That's it. it. <laughs> I was the- I made- $45 a week. Wow. Break into the industry. Four fifty an hour. I work two hours a day. Just raking it in. Yeah. Boy. I was, I was raking it in. Yeah. How can you uh, walk I, away from a deal like that? <laughs> well, I was also a bartender at night in Daytona Beach during that. So that's where the money came from and the entertainment. So how did you get into paving? When when you had this lucrative career as a bartender down in Florida, I feel like that really would that's, have been the flare. That's where the money's at. Yeah, in the trunk. Well, I I got married and and began having kids. That well, that'll do it. That'll that settle you pull right you down. out of the bar real quick. <laughs> Did you get your interview at the bar? Is that how you met your employer? Um, I did not, but I met my first wife at a bar. All right. I do nah. like that the key word there was first wife. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to have well, multiple these days. Well, we'll talk more about that in a little bit, too. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, so where'd so you, where, where'd you go, Vince? Be, uh, say that again? Oh, we got a leg. I said, where do we go from here, Vince? So uh, I then became a full-time technician and actually got to work 40 hours a week. And I eventually uh, went to work for the Florida Department of Transportation for a while as a project manager. And I managed contracts and went back to engineering firms. And I did that until 2002. And then in 2002, I actually landed at Ajax Paving down in the Sarasota, Florida area. They asked me to come there and set up their quality control program. Florida was just going to contractor quality control for pay. So I went in and started that program for them. And about 14 months later, took over the general manager of the company down in Florida over their five plants. And then in 
2007, what what became the worst year of my life personally and the best year of my life professionally, and we'll go into that, uh, I became the vice president of the company. And in 2019, the spring of 19, I took over the president. Very nice. Uh, so, so what I got I'm out of... Where, I'm proud to say I now make more than 450 an hour, but yeah, there right. you go. <laughs> and I they, they say, kept me at that pay, but you know I'm happy to say I'm the president. My takeaway from all of that was there's still hope for all the bartenders out there. <laughs> there is hope for a lot of people out there if you're willing to work hard. There you go. Amen to that. So what was what was that like going from being a bartender, getting an entry level? All the way to the vice president. What was that roller coaster like? Obviously, that being your first time into the real world. Yeah, the real world before you got to 07. What was that even like, that journey? Uh, professionally, it was awesome. No regrets. I mean, I uh, the day I landed that 450 an hour job, I called my uncle up in Illinois that had worked for the county as an engineer for years and bragged to him about the job I had. I told him I finally made it. I was in the industry. Um, I don't know that I have a regret for anything in my career up through today. Um, other than maybe at times I spent too much attention to it and maybe not enough attention to my family, but yeah. probably as guilty of that. I was going to say that's the whole industry right our, there. Yeah, our industry is full of that. Yeah. So, uh, no, it was um, good. It's a hey, it's a phenomenal industry, right? And it's it phenomenal is. for the people. Was it you choosing to pay more attention to your career, or was it your career pulling you in because of the pace of the career? Oh, that was a nice question. Yeah. I like that one. You're welcome. Well, from 89 till 92, I guess, I Decided to go with a couple guys and we started our own business and i know some of you guys i think have your business so you know what that takes oh yeah coming out of, coming out of the hole yep. um so there was no choice but to be pulled into the business so hopefully you'd have a paycheck every two weeks yeah yeah um so yeah there was some of that um but it was probably my personality more than that even uh, I'm very competitive, and uh, I've always looked for where that next step, where the next move. And hey, I, I guess if I'm going to look back on anything in my career, maybe there was, were times where getting that next move maybe wasn't the best thing at the time. As in, it wasn't worth the sacrifice required to get there? Yeah, I, I tell people that uh, probably the most fun I ever had in my career, even till today, was uh, being an inspector out on a job in Orange County, Florida, over in Orlando. Because you get to fuck with all the roller operators. I was going to say, why is why is that? <laughs> that? That was your most enjoyable time. Well, he just he just kind of just said it. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get to fuck with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, no. I was not, I was a contractor's inspector because at the end of the day, I wanted to build a good project that we could all be proud of. Yep. Yeah. So I wasn't a, an inspector that was up people's asses all the time, but I also did what was right. I mean, I remember one night on that job, I told the, uh, 
project lead guy out there i parked my truck in front of the paver perpendicular to the to the road and i told him if you're going to pave anymore tonight you're going to pave over the top of that fucking truck wow because i've asked you for two days to do something and you haven't done it i'm here trying to help you and to this day uh, that would have been probably 1998 ish man that guy still laugh about really so you're still in contact <laughs> Yeah. Hey, well, yeah, he uh, paved it, over his truck. <laughs> <laughs> He's still looking for that money. <laughs> I, made a speed bump on the road. That's right. <laughs> but, but it was the bantering back and forth. It was the having fun. It was at the end of the day, looking back at what you accomplished. You actually touched something and you did something. Uh, hey, as you move up, you can't always look back every day and see that thing that you did. And there's such a sense of camaraderie on the job. Like, I will say this. We've all dealt with our our fair share of dick inspectors. But for the most part, I will say through my career, there have been a lot of really great inspectors that, that have the attitude you just described, where they're there to keep you accountable. But at the end of the day, they're on your team because everyone's trying to accomplish the same goal. Did you mean inspectors that become dicks? Instead of dick inspectors, <laughs> well, that's you know, where my brain. I was like, I yeah, was wondering why dick inspectors. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I should specify inspectors that were like dicks. Lunchtime, you just whipped it out. Oh, and well, uh, so that is. I have to do that. I have to do that for my DOT exam. That, that's where <laughs> okay. I go see the dick inspector. All right. All right. But, uh, but all that to say, even from inspectors to crews and crews that are working alongside other crews that don't normally work together. That's one aspect of the trades I've always loved is there's just this general camaraderie that we're all in this together. We're all out here busting our ass in the heat of the day, you know, while the other half of society lives in the office world that just naturally kind of brings you together. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to sit there and listen to them of the pride and we're going to do what's right. And we're going to stop production, whatever. And I just got the question of, what was the drive that you couldn't let go where you couldn't go home at night and go spend time with your family? Like what held you there at the job? If you could look back today. Compliments, letters, letters from the DOT to my supervisor. Thanking me for the job. I, I did <clears throat> compliments, um, in front of people. I mean, a lot of us like to say, hey, we don't ever, you don't need to tell me thank you. We don't need trophies, plaques, or awards. But let's be honest, we all like to be told that we're doing a good job. 100%. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. So, was that yeah. something that you achieved at a certain time in your career that was like an emotional high that you couldn't get enough of because you never received it on that Definitely journey? Definitely a dopamine bump right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a dopamine bump. Yeah. I mean, you, right, you took the words out of my mouth. And it was, and it was always, hey, we've got to pick up the next district contract. We got to get that contract, and to get that contract, we got to be the best. We got to be on top of our game. It's uh, it's easy to get to the top, but it's hard to stay at the top. So it was it was that drive of wanting to be number one and not accept. Be number two and yep. why do you think the dopamine at a job was a m bigger high than a dopamine with your family that kind of high because i became a selfish person well i'll tell you it is really difficult 
I've never been a female, so I can't speak for females, but as a male, <laughs> not yet. it's really difficult to walk away from something that you know you're really good at. It is. And and I get that. Like throwing yourself after something because like it's almost like you're a puzzle piece and you finally felt yourself lock into place. Like yeah. when you really know you're banging on all cylinders and you're knocking it out of the park. You just want to keep doing that because yeah. it's such a, it is, it's a dopamine I'd hit. I'd say I of, agree with Vince. I you fucking know, crushed up it. Up until COVID, that's how I felt at my my past, you know, career. Really? Everything was, you know, good job. You know, you're killing it. You know, we're going to do this next big job at the hospitals. And then all of a sudden COVID happened and all of a sudden I was a nobody. But yeah. you always gave the guys that you were over compliments and encouraged oh, yeah. them, but you never got one back yourself. For the uh, most part, yeah. With that mustache, I guess, yeah. Me giving compliments was what kept me dry. You know, that gave mustache me the drive. says you you give them a little handy yeah, to right. a little pick me up. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I got a shave. Vince, I got a mustache, and I just uh, achieved this uh, this uh, medal of honor. Of he looks like a fucking man eater. He looks like a molester. <laughs> About two months uncle. ago, and I I was gonna shave it off, and you know I I'm gonna keep going with it for the rest of my life. <laughs> Well, I had a porn mustache back in the 80s and 90s. And I that, that's, got... that's where I'm at now. That's where I'm at now in the 2000s. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, this... but, but you know, there's another piece that deeper to the story of why I did what I did. And mm-hmm. I will hit that here at some point, I guess, of a bunch of things in my life that happened from 89 to 95 that drove me into using my career to numb myself. Oh, I mean, there was a lot of drugs floating around back in the day. That's true. That's true. Not like no, that. That was in the seventies and early eighties. <laughs> oh, that was. So, what were you doing in the seventies and early eighties? That was the bartending okay, life. <laughs> the early eighties was the bartending life in Daytona Beach. There you go. Yeah, that says it all. Vince, I feel like you've been around the block a few times, and you got some real stories to drop here. <laughs> Yeah, some stories I don't want to drop. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> nope, we're with you. We all got that 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 story in the closet. We'll keep in the closet. So, from being an inspector, how did you cross over into the contractor world? What what made you kind of make the switch? I had a headhunter call me. Said there's this company and looking for this QC manager type guy, and I went and interviewed with ajax and the president and went home and wrote him a rejection letter and he called me back and i interviewed again i wrote him another rejection letter and he called me and said you're just not getting it and i went back and interviewed a third time and finally accepted and the monetary offer from interview one to interview three was nothing additional in the salary and he gave me an extra fifteen hundred dollars for moving so it wasn't about money so by what, passion. what was the rejection is, was it, you were enjoying what you were currently doing? Why, why the hesitation? Well, have you ever heard this before? Contractors are crooks and they steal and they cheat and they're thieves. Yeah. Wow. You're talking to a whole podcast of contractors here, Vince. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I'm, I'm one now too. <laughs> but you got to remember from 85 to 02. I worked on the other side of the fence. Yeah, yep. most yeah. definitely. I worked on the side where you're supposed to watch those guys because they're going to try to get stuff over yeah. on you. And so on the third interview, Mike asked me, why is it? Why don't you want to come here? And I said, I have a stellar reputation with the Florida Department of Transportation. I've worked now 17 years to build that reputation. 
and I don't want to ruin the reputation because I've always heard what contractors do. And so his sales pitch that hired and got me in the door was, we don't do that. I want you to come here. And if we have a failure, you call the owner first and tell them, and then you tell me second, and we will go and fix it. Wow. I'm not going to ask you to hide anything or cover anything up. We do quality. So you tell them first so they know, and then you can tell me second. And 21 years later, he has lived fully to that. The company's lived to it. He's never asked me to fudge, cheat, or ignore anything. But it was the stripper that really got you, wasn't it? <laughs> there were no strippers. I hate to bust your bubble. <laughs> so, Made for a better story. <laughs> so what uh, What was your life at Ajax? You started in, in QC, and then how did you kind of work your way up the ranks? And, and I think this would be good for a lot of guys to hear on just how do you work your way to the level of president when starting down the ladder? Okay, I'll hit that. But first, I want to say, now that I've been on the other side of the fence for 21 years, everything that all the people told me for the first 17 years, completely wrong. I mean, I don't know hardly any contractors. Hey, there's bad everywhere, right? Sure. Yeah, that's right. Most, yeah. most contractor I know want to do the right thing every day. Absolutely. You have to. Because you don't want to go back. You don't want to look back at something you did and you got to fix. You're doing your job. It's your pride. Well, and I tell you, these days... Yeah. If you're a shitty contractor, you ain't going to cut it because there's too many people in this industry because they have a passion for it. And just from a quality standpoint and a customer service standpoint, you ain't going to make it. Especially when you're at the level of Ajax and whatnot. Oh, know. yeah. Yeah. So how did I move up? Um, hey, I started here in October of 02 as a QC manager. And in June of 03, I walked into the president's office. And I said, hey, just so you know, when you're ready to be done, I want to be president of the company. Wow. So that's that a some balls. Do you, do you yeah, have a wheelbarrow awesome. carrying your ball sack like, in there? Like, <laughs> it that's, that's, pretty, it, like, bold. that's pretty bold. <laughs> well, hey, you go for it, right? Absolutely. You went well, full send. So, now, have you had someone walk in and tell you those same words? Well, that's a good question. Since you came uh, president. I, well, yeah. Not not as bold as I was, and but uh, yeah, I mean, I know who wants to be the next guy. Wow! So, for a lot of now, people, does that next guy that wants it, does he have the ability to do that? Oh, one hundred and ten percent. Awesome. So let yeah. me let me ask you this: There's a lot of guys in in the industry that don't have the confidence that you just spoke of. Just so everyone can hear, what was the reaction? of the head honcho when you laid that on him? Because I'm sure he didn't laugh. He had his head down, he rolled his eyes up, and kind of cocked his head at me, and he said, I have got every young guy in this company wanting to run this place. What was your that response? Was that was his response. No, no, no. What was oh, Vince's no, response yeah, well, to that? Oh, what was my response to that? Yeah. yeah. I said, well, just don't remember. I came in here and approached you. I died and told you. I don't know what the other guys did. Nice. nice. Man, this guy's got some moves. Big balls. How'd you meet your first wife and your second wife? He I feel like there were some her, ballsy moves, too. You're going to meet my wife. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I asked for that. So, how do people move up? I mean, it was funny. I had a guy at lunch yesterday, and we were talking about an employee God who's struggling with, and he can't get him to do things. And, you know, and I told him, I said, I just, I don't get it. 
I said, you know, I remember one day sitting, this guy's mad because he doesn't have an office. He has a cubicle. Well, hell, I was the general manager and vice president of the company for years and had a cubicle. That's just kind of our culture. I said, but you know, I can remember one day yelling over the wall, hey, hey, Leroy, I hear you over there trying to do something. Let me help you with that. And he got up and walked over to me and he said, why did you ask me that? I said, well, I can do what I'm doing tonight and I hear you're struggling with something, so let me help you. Those are the ways that people get to move up. Well, that's Even a leader. If it's, not, if it's not your job, offer to help. Yeah. One by by one by helping him, I learned something that I didn't, didn't know how to do before that day. Yeah. Right. So just because you're out on a job and you're the loop man or you're the roller or whatever you are, help someone. Yeah. Learn something. Words and of wisdom, right there. And if the company you're with doesn't want to reward you, shit here in Florida right now, for every 100 openings, there's 65 employees. Go Hmm. find a company that will take care of you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Ain't that the truth? So we've kind of worked through your career, and it, it sounds like you've had a pretty stellar time. It sounds like you've accomplished some pretty incredible things. Let's rewind now and kind of talk about the personal side of life and how how those two did not run parallel to each other. Now we're going down the dark side. Yeah. 1989. Okay. I get, I get a phone call. My brother that at the time was a 36 years old, getting ready to turn 37, it's terminally old. It's nine years older than me in May. In July, my father died. In November and December, my wife and I lost our twin sons. On July 31, 1993, my niece, my brother's daughter, her fifth birthday, that's the day my brother died. So now, July 31st each year, we get to celebrate her birthday and mourn his passing. And at that same time, we learned my mother was terminally ill, and she was soon gone. (laughs) That's heavy. When I was growing up, my family, my mother, my brother, and, and father and I, we camped together. We rode motorcycles. We had horses. We horseback rode together. That was my strength. That's who I went to, to talk to, to ask questions, to get guidance, to vent, to bitch, whatever it was. Yeah. And now it's 1995, and they're all gone. And- so there's the other piece of why I buried myself in my career because my dad told me i grew up in the southern part of illinois and he told me they take all the crazy people down to anna jonesville that's where the mental hospital is about 70 miles from where i grew up and that's where they lock them up Mm -hmm. so Mm. don't tell people if you're struggling don't tell them any pain you're going through because if you do they'll think you're weak and and they'll put you in there so i i never told anyone how i felt and just I i was weak so we can keep all of our timelines straight. This is all happening up to at, at what point in your career? Where are you at career-wise when all of this is unfolding? 1989, at that point, uh, that month I learned it was my four-year anniversary into the uh, industry. At that point, I am a field. Uh, well, not actually at that point. Yeah, I was still a field engineering technician just getting ready to start uh, my own company with two other guys. So so you're just going in and literally putting your head down 
and getting to work because that's how you're going to process through all this. Yeah, it's a numbing agent. You yeah. stay busy, don't have to think about it or deal with it. Yeah, that would be a lot coming from where we come from running businesses to have that kind of mental stress on top of the business what stress what you're about to enter yeah. and get off That's the ground. You sit there like, do I sink or swim? And are you are you married at this point, Vince? At that point, I'm married, and I have a son that was turned a uh, year old after my father passed, and yeah, so yeah, it all happened at the same time. Married, married, and. May of 85, learned of a brother in May of 89, had a son born in August of 88. Wow. And then you lost the twins what year? Same year, 89. 89. Yeah. And what, from a personal level, obviously you buried yourself in work, but what was the daily struggle for you trying to just get through every 24 hours at that moment? Um, hey, don't tell me there's a God, because if there was a God, he wouldn't do this to a person. So don't even, one, don't even touch that topic with me at the time. Um, they say that bad things don't happen to good people, so mm-hmm. I must not be a very good person. <laughs> this is all happening to me. Yeah. Um, just a lot of deep, dark thoughts of sadness and of loneliness of i mean i didn't know it at the time but uh, you know depression i didn't even know what that meant then. yeah I yeah that wasn't a big term in the 80s <laughs> that wasn't a term you're right <laughs> so if if i can dive a little deeper into your personal life all of that happening, especially the loss of the twins uh my wife and i lost a child as well and I know that can really, you can go one of two ways with that. It can really draw you in tight or it can really push you apart. What was the effect on your marriage at the time of losing the twins? I became a pretty selfish person. Hmm. And how I, so um, when you say that? I spent a lot of time with my son going to ball fields and doing things not at not in at 89 when that happened mm-hmm. but as, as we get closer to 94 95 when my mother is going through everything she's going through i would leave my mother was at our house and i would leave my wife there and i would go to the ball fields with my son and i didn't realize at the time the impact that had on our marriage mm-hmm. i didn't learn of that God, until 2007 when we were going through our divorce because we never talked about it. Yeah. Mm. I never talked to her about the twin because, I mean, she gave birth to him. She carried him. Yeah. She had, in my mind, she had enough going on in her head without me being a burden. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, we should have talked. But I'm, I'm doing what my dad told me to do, right? Yeah. The man Keep it balled house, up and... Oh, I'm being strong. I'm not telling anybody. Boy, you touch on something there that that doesn't get talked about a lot, especially when it comes to mental health sort of stuff. Uh, there is a generational aspect of that, and and I think a lot of people need to hear that you may have grown up 
being told to act or talk or yeah, be tough and, and do things a certain way. And that's not necessarily a good and healthy thing. Um, in hindsight, how do you think you would have handled that differently? If I knew what I knew today, yes. One, maybe I would have talked to a counselor or a therapist if I didn't want to burden my wife. Mm-hmm. I could have talked to someone else. Um, I had a good friend I could have talked to, and I didn't even talk to him about it. I used to think that there was this, um, again, remember, I'm t- I told you earlier, type A personality pushing, want to be strong, want to yep. advance. So you don't, uh, over here, let me, I'm going to jump ahead of quite a few years. Okay. And then we'll go back. In 2007, we'll hit on this, but in 2007, I was going to take my life. And for 14 years, nobody knew about that, what became my ex-wife and my son. So why didn't I want anyone to know? I didn't want the president of the company to know because in June of 2003, I told him I wanted to run the company. So how can I tell him that I'm struggling and thinking about taking my life and saying, oh, by the way, give me all 400 of your employees. Let me manage them. Because I'm thinking, what the hell? You, you can't even manage Vince and you're going to manage my company? I don't think so. Yep. Yeah. Um, how am I going to make you vice president of the company? That's why I said 2007 was the best year of my life personally i became vice president of the company but that same year was the worst year of my life personally because that was the year i was going to kill myself yeah so i had two dynamics going on but i would tell you this once i finally in 2021 was able to start talking about it to people everything that i thought would be perceived of me was just the opposite people perceived me as being stronger by being able to stand up in front of men and talk about the struggles I went through. Um, my life has completely changed since I was able to talk about my weaknesses from where I thought it would be. And I could finally sleep at night. For See, years, I couldn't sleep at night. You're talking 30 years of holding this all in. 32 years. Yeah. I do think it's interesting, you know, the mind is such a a powerful tool when you put it to use in certain ways, and yet it it can be such a powerful enemy to you uh, when you let it run away. One of the things that stuck out is you used the word burden when you were talking about discussing the twins with your wife. And I, I, I will admit I have an exceptional marriage. I'm super happy with my marriage, but I don't think in, in my marriage, my wife would ever feel burdened by me coming to her with things that I'm struggling with. And, and I would argue that that's probably the majority of marriages. And yet your mind can put you in this, you know, combined with your, your experiences, you know, like you said, your dad and everything, your mind can put you in this little ball where you feel like I can't talk to anyone because it's a burden. I'm a big downer. I don't want to depress people, but that's not reality. The reality is these people would love for you to open up to them and, and they would love to help you. Well, would it though? Cause I grew up with a family that we didn't talk about anything. And that's true. We I didn't talk I'm, about problems. Yeah, I may come from a very different yeah. background and, and, that's true. Because honestly, you really think about it. 
each family is unique, right? But really, when you look at all the families that grew up, we're not too far away from Vince. Yeah. Right. On the generational curve, when you start watching how what he was told and then how that generation carries has kids and what they were told. And I'd kind of differ on saying most of the families didn't talk about it. They didn't want to talk about sex ed, right? Because yeah. the uncomfort. So how right. are they going to want to talk about how are you struggling with yourself or what's wrong and right? Because at the end of the day, it gets you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. They want you to have powder puff gloves on and they just want it to be roses, right? Nobody wants to talk, especially being a man. Nobody really wants to talk to him and go, why are you struggling? What's your hang up? How can I help? Nobody, nobody <clears> talks <throat> about that because in, in, in the industry, in the world, it's just not in I, our culture. I'll tell you what, though. I'll use Greg motherfucking Johnson as an example, who unfortunately is not here tonight. But Greg is like the most tradesman, stereotypical tradesman that I know. He's like, Mr. Machismo, we're not going to talk about weird shit. I hate everything liberal. You know, Feelings, we all know Greg. Him. We all yeah. know Greg. Yet, I'm confident that if I came to Greg or called him up one day and was like, dude, I'm fucked up and I got to talk to someone and, and I've been struggling. As uncomfortable as Greg might feel, I know for a fact Greg would absolutely listen and be willing to help me out any way he could. And so that's where I kind of go is I think I think sometimes we can get so in our head about this shit that it drives you away from it, the people it does. that you need it, to talk it, it to. It ultimately like pulls said, his you best friend away. Would have helped. What, what Vince? What thoughts on all of that? Well, one nineteen eighty nine is different than two thousand and twenty. That's a very good point. Very good point. Now going back, uh, you you said back in eighty nine, you told yourself that there could not be a god. They would not. He would not do this to you. You know this hurt, this anger, everything that's happened to you. Did anything change from then to now? About probably 18 months ago, one of my big superintendents came into my office and he said, um, one of my guys is struggling and talking about taking his life. I'd like you to talk to him. Mm -hmm. um, so he brought him into my office and we started talking and I, I said what i just said a few minutes ago about hey there can't be and uh, albert looked at me and said he put you through what you put through he put you through so you could sit here today and help this young man not take his life how deep is that that's, that's super deep yeah it's um, hard it's hard to argue against it <laughs> And that young man, I mean, he's not with us anymore. He wanted to do something different in life. But, you know, he checked in with me here a while back, and he's doing good So he's now. still with us physically, yeah, just yeah, not with you. Yeah, the way you couched that was <laughs> a little like, troublesome. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> he's, <laughs> guys, he's not with Ajax. They're <laughs> <laughs> on Earth. Awesome. Um, so, hey, there's a different perspective from everyone, right? Yeah. And so, Albert telling me that, yeah, I mean, it kind of clicked the switch. Yeah. So... Obviously, when you make it to the vice president of Ajax, and that's the same time your life is in shambles, what was the struggle now that you got the promotion and you're at Ajax in this role, leading all these people, 
what was your day-to-day thoughts on when you're sitting there running the company? Like, how did you even get through a 12 hour work day when you're ready just to and not be there? Work was great. When I was at work, I was on top of the world. So would you kind of turn off personal vents while at work? Is, is that kind of, did you kind of, I guess, compartmentalize everything to where when you were at work, all of the other stuff didn't you shut really that exist? Down. You kind of shut it off? You went full send into Ajax world. Uh, in 04, when they put me over the plants from 04 up until 07, when I took over as the vice president, and then for a while as the vice president, I was so immersed in learning new things that I didn't know how to do that it just consumed me at work and kept me busy. And it also kept my mind busy somewhat in the evenings. They give you purpose. It was almost like a false therapy. Yeah. So and, uh, how long is your immersing yourself and you're fascinated with this new track of traction that you got from the vice president role? How did you slowly start pulling yourself out? Or were you still at the same struggle of wanting to end your life all the way up to 2020? Like, when did when did the transition kind of start fading? You started going, life's not so bad. In 07, I came home from a day at work and sat and had dinner with my wife and kids. And uh, the kids went to their rooms and start cleaning the kitchen. And I think that I loaded the dishwasher a lot wrong again that night. I'm not, I always seen that I heard that I did that wrong. And, um, so something was said again that night. And I said to myself, I've had a, enough. I just, I, I'm tired of being miserable inside. I'm tired of aching. I'm tired of feeling hopeless. I'm, I'm tired of feeling like I'm a complete loser and failure in my personal life. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had played the sham and had hid myself now for that point about 18 years and i got in my truck and i left and i was driving out behind our asphalt plant where my desk is at today and that's where i was going to end my life and i got a telephone call and said we know where you're going we know what you're going to do and your son is on his way and if i wouldn't receive that telephone call i wouldn't be here today but i wasn't going to let my son find me like that just out of curiosity who called you my wife at the time and to go back to my point earlier and this is your first wife or second wife this was about to occur first wife first Um, wife yeah and so just to go back to my point from earlier you're talking about burdening your wife I think it's interesting that your wife knew exactly what was going on. She knew exactly what were you, you were going to do. Your son knew exactly what was going on and he needed to come get you. Yet again, from a mental standpoint, you felt like you were Nobody burdening knew. people. And yeah, and that's that all. Yeah. And, and that's the only reason I draw attention to that is I, I think about someone listening that might be in the position that you were in and, and mentally, you do get to this point where you're just a burden and, and you you don't need to hurt people with the hurt that you're feeling. And I feel like right there in that phone call, your family was reaching out and going, no, we're here for you and we're going to try to protect you and help you. Yeah. And if I wasn't for that phone call, like I said, I wouldn't be talking to you all tonight. Yeah. So... Wow. 
what happened after the fact? Um, and I'd like to take it from two ways. Obviously, just your personal narrative, but more importantly, I mean, that's got to be a an uncomfortable situation to be in where Knowing you've kind of been caught. What's yeah. about to happen. How uncomfortable was it coming home and having to deal with the fallout of that? Because I'm sure that's a fear. Was that a fear of yours after you got off that phone call of what do I do now? I laughed and joked and told him, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just out for a ride. I'll be home. Hmm. Wow. So you just pass it off. Yeah. I went home and went to bed and got up the next morning. and went to work. Oof. Did you, so coming that close to actually committing suicide, was there a lot of thought the next day? How, how did you mentally handle that? I went to work and sat down at my desk and pulled open my jar and I took out four letters and read. They were letters that I had written to four of my best guys, my most valuable guys that I felt like could help make me a success. They were my uh, goodbye letters to them. Hmm. But more importantly, they were letters explaining to them that um, my decision to leave had no reflection on anything they had done. done, And I didn't want them to suffer for what I had done. And I put the letters back in the drawer. And at some point, I threw them away. I don't know if it was a week later or a year later, but at some point, I threw them away. Hmm. You know, they, they, they say the difference between someone taking their life and not is like nine minutes. Wow. If you can time and distance, if you can get them away from the way they were going to do it, or if you can just stop them and they get nine minutes of clarity, the, their mind kind of comes back in. And so by the next day, hey, I'm I'm not thinking about it as much as I was the night before, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that gets kind of cloudy in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, my my wife and I at that time had been married 23 years, and it wasn't too many months after that our marriage ended. Um, and then I eventually married my second wife that I'm still married to that's now been 14 years. And uh, yeah, um, I, I would like to tell you that that was the only dark night in my life. That was the darkest night. Wow. But it's not been the only dark nights. I mean, uh, I've had some dark nights a year and a half ago. Hmm. Um, now, how long have you been with your new ma- your new wife? 14, 14 years. 14 years. Sorry. Right. It's all right. We, we do a mostly good job of listening to I'm, our... I'm listening. There's just so much going on in my brain. I'm, I'm thinking about my own... I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about my own life, you know, in my head. Yeah. Just, Things that have and happened over the years. When you like, say we do a good job listening, we were listening, my wife and I, to this show the other day. Yeah. And the guy uh, from Colorado yep. was talking about how old he was and how much money he had and how many years he's been living there and how long he's been with his girlfriend. It was like two years. And like three minutes later... After he tells all that, Brian's like, "Yeah, so how long have you been with your girlfriend?" Yeah, again? I you think I called him out. My wife's, "You're a fucking idiot, Brian. Two years, yeah. dude. It's hard to keep track of everything, especially when you got usually a I'm the super, one who well, keeps track of times and dates and stuff. Super but intense I just, story going on. It's hard to keep all your dates and times. Exactly. Vince, your story's got into my head of my previous, you know, relationship and lifestyle and whatever. And I'm sitting like, man. So Vince, fourteen years. Obviously, you you met your wife now back then. Did you know her before you were getting divorced, after you were getting divorced? 
I met her a couple, probably maybe three months before our divorce ended, but we had been working through our divorce for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So um, did your current wife now know how bad Vince was struggling mentally behind the man he is today? Did she know? Did you confide? Did you confess or did you still just kind of You're play that off that I'm Vince from Ajax? When we were going, we went, we, we went to marriage counseling. I mean, we tried to make things work. Um, hey, she was a phenomenal mother and a good woman. So I've got nothing bad to say. We were together 23 years. Right. We, we, we were going through marriage counseling and um, I had told her of my plan to take my life. I had told her why. Um, I don't want to tell you all why because I don't want people to get ideas. Yeah, right. But, but I had all my reasons uh, why it made sense. And one day, uh, the marriage counselor, um, she, uh, which was also a psychologist, psychiatrist, I yep. didn't know she was a psychologist. Um, my wife told her, and she was going to have me Baker acted. And I got up and ran out of the building and called her after I got a couple blocks away on my phone and said, I'll never go back there and again because y'all aren't going to lock me up. Wow. So that had to kind of throw you for a loop that as soon as you heard that being a child and probably hearing those same words from your dad, that they would lock you up. That almost had to resonate and go. Yeah. Trip like a flashback of some sort is a trigger. It, it did, but probably where it went more than anything was, hey, I told Mike I wanted to run the company. And you think after they locked me up for 72 hours, they're going to let me? Right. Wow. So moving forward into your new relationship, your new wife, were you seeking help or were you still holding the past in? Like, how did, how did you deal with that? Obviously, did you start... And I feel like a lot of people start a new chapter, but they haven't healed or dealt with the old one yet. They haven't, they haven't dealt with the past. Yeah, obviously, your marriage has ended. You guys have separated and moved forward. You're starting new lives. You're, you know, we're continuing on. But have you dealt with the problem that held Vince back all those years? No. So you're still just burying it this whole time. If we go back to the dates earlier, for those of you that can remember. Yep. No, we got it. <laughs> July, yeah. July 16th, 2021, the first time I told anyone. Yeah. And my wife, second wife, she didn't know until after those 16 people. Stacy didn't know until October of 2022. Wow. wow. My life. Um, from 09 up into that period, I... I got immersed in Ironman racing. I did 11 Ironman, which takes about, which takes about 20 hours a week of training. Training, Yeah. So that kept my mind busy. It kept my mind. So I always found the things to keep my mind busy. Yeah. To keep me from focusing and thinking about it. So to revise that you found things to distract you from the thing you just weren't dealing with yes 
That's how he coped with it. Yeah. Now, and that's not good. No, yeah. not at all. So, yeah. looking back at it now from today, obviously, thankfully, you're here and you're talking about it, and you're reaching out and telling other people. Looking back now, when when would you say when would you say today? I had enough. Here was my breaking point. Right then and there, you should have seeked help. Whether you confided in your therapist or with your wife, like how many years or days or minutes, or the, well, the first thought of you correct. thinking about this? When 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 do you when do you go, Vince? If you could tell yourself today, this is when I would have seeked help. Oh, I should have started talking about it when I started losing everyone. Yeah. Um, so from the beginning, from you the should beginning. have spoke about it, talked about it, found help. Yeah, talk and, to the therapist. And I'm not saying that what happened to me. There's people in this world that have had things far more devastating happen to me than losing my family the way I did. Sure, but, but everybody's everybody's story is different, you know, and everybody's life's yes. different. So it, you know, by the end of the day, taking your life, having these this depression built in built inside you and coped up. It, it, it's all the same for everybody, but how you handle it and where you go with it is all different, right? Absolutely. Um, my breakthrough moment when I was able to actually talk about it was um, I, I just finished the doc, my doctorate degree at the University of South Florida. So I'm talking to a professor about what I want to research. I had this phenomenal idea, this grand idea. I wanted to research frontline leadership, why we in the construction industry take the guy that's great at running the skid steer or running the roller or whatever the tradesman is. And when the foreman leaves, we say, you're so great at operating that piece of equipment, you must be able to manage people. We're going to make you the boss now. Isn't that glorious? <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have any of you ever done that? Yeah, so all the time. That's that's the whole industry promotes like you because uh, you were good at a task, a daily thing. <laughs> so he looked at he looked at me and he said, "That's pretty weak and that's lame." They did it. They studied why great physicians make terrible hospital administrators. Just take their narrative and write it up and check the names, and you're done with your research. Go find something different. So I went home and sat and thought, and and I thought about. Uh, you got to uh, suicide and construction because I kind of knew a little bit about it, mm -hmm. but I, I knew my story. But I mean, how many of you all know that construction has the second highest suicide rate in the United States? I think We've, we know. We know, but we all want to just not accept it. it. We don't want to think about it. How many of you know that every day in the country and all construction trades, we lose two to three workers to job-related fatalities? Trench collapse, hit by a car in a work zone, electrocuted, two to three. Yet today, we lost 10 to 15 of our workers to suicide. We lose a construction worker every two hours to suicide. That's crazy. And why, so do, you, I, why do you think that is, Vince? Um, you know, it's. Uh, I read an article today that done by a group of twenty researchers, and um, they kind of said part of what I said in my research. Financial is a big piece of it. Mm -hmm. um, 
fluctuations in income for these guys, um, uncertainty of, hey, when this contract ends, will I have a job to go to after this, or yep. am I unemployed, or what's going on, or hey, if you're up north where you all are at, a lot of the guys like being done this time of the year so they can go deer hunting or ice fishing, whatever they want to do, while other people struggle and think, how am I going to make it till spring? So money is a big piece of it. There's a lot of um, repetitive injuries in our industry with yeah. age. Yep. And people then begin to either be prescribed opioids, which if a doctor tells you he's going to give you opioids, tell him no. Yeah, oh, 1,000%. Or they begin to self-medicate with either alcohol or illegal drugs. So, I mean, those are some of the reasons. But my research told me that the primary reason why we don't deal with this industry is, one, people don't know it's a problem. And executives don't want to address it. But that has greatly changed in the last year. Yeah. More and more executives are saying we have to do something about this. Or else you're not going to have anybody to do anything. So, that is an interesting take. And obviously, something that needs to be talked about. And I'm not saying this needs to come down your guys's ladder, you know, and coming right from you. But how how does the industry start becoming a change for the working man and woman from the top or from the bottom? Like, how does this start changing? Obviously, in the world that we live in today, because it's not back then; it's now. And knowing that problem is being a leader in a industry. How do you start trying to make that change from this dinosaur of an industry where we just run all the labor it, into the it ground? Up and, uh, you know, come back tomorrow. Yeah. Well, you do, you do what we're doing right now. For one thing, you talk about it. I, I did a, I put together a national proclamation that was signed in Orlando on February 7th of this year. And it was, it was a proclamation that I had some people sign that said, we're going to begin addressing mental health and suicide in our organization. We're going to have open conversations about it. We're going to promote it. It was signed. The people that I asked to sign it was Dave Bauer, the president of the American Road and Transportation Builders. Wow. I had Doug Carlson, the CEO of the National Utility Contractors Association, sign it. Jamie Roush, uh, general manager of Dynapack America, signed it. Jason Daly with John Deere signed it. I had some international contractors there, some national contractors and Florida contractors there. I had some engineers there. Now, uh, Jerry Perdue, the secretary of the Florida Department of Transportation, signed it. Now, so, now by signing it means they just you know took two minutes out of their time to read and sign it. How are they going to implement it, and how are they going to go forward with actually helping people throughout our industries? Well, John did, came and did a segment at our organization here a few weeks ago where they're doing a written article on it, and they're doing one of their video segments on it. Jamie right. Roush had me speak to his a section of his company nationwide at Dynapack. About three weeks ago, he had me coming back again at the end of next week. I'm going to speak to another group of his That's national amazing. advisors. So it's about getting to these leaders. I mean, the Associated Equipment uh, dealers, they had me come and speak to all their young executives upcoming. Yeah. So it, it's planting a seed here and it's planting a seed there. Yeah. Some of the seeds won't get any water on them and they'll die, but others will grow. So... Let me shrink it down to a much smaller scale. Uh, 
we've got contractors that listen that own their own companies. Fuck the three of us own our own companies. As contractors, what and and business owners, what can we do? On a small scale within our group of guys. Even if you got like a couple employees, yeah, two or three. Yeah. How can we implement this boots on the ground? I'll tell you how we began it at Ajax. I got up in front of everyone on January 3rd, 2022 and said, we've got a great company. We've got a great culture, but let me tell you what we're going to start today. We're going to talk about mental health and suicide in this organization. There's going to be no repercussions. For talking about it, in fact, we're going to applaud you for it. That was step one. Whoever, the boss has got to say we're, we're going to do it. And he has to mean we're going to do it, and it's just not lip service. The second thing we did, we said, hey, we're going to do four, four toolbox talks a year. You can go to the Construction Industry Alliance for Suicide Prevention. That's the Construction Industry Alliance for Suicide Prevention. They have toolbox talks you can download for free, so that don't cost you anything. Then I said, we're going to spend $100 and we're going to buy some hard hat stickers that promotes the new national 988 number. That way, there's always a 988 number on the guy's hard hat in front of everyone. In people's faces, yep. So, yep, so face did, every- did we cover it already? What's the 988 number for those who don't know? 988 is a new national number that came out on July 26, 2022. That if I'm it can be used for two methods. One, if I'm if I would have had that number in 07, one of the night when I was thinking about taking my life, I could have called them to, to talk about where I'm at and what I'm gonna do, and they would have helped me. Or if I have a friend or a coworker that I think is struggling, but I don't know what to say to them or how to talk to them, I can call that number and I can tell them, hey, I got this friend, Bob, and something just doesn't seem right. And they will coach me and give me guidance on how I can talk to them. So it's 988. You can use personally to either help yourself or to help a friend. That is so good to know. Now, I do have to. We've been real heavy and I have to sweat and grime it up a little bit. Don't confuse it for 811 because that is not going to be the same advice. You get different advice. That's right. <laughs> but no, that's good. And, and so what I, is that number one more time, Vince? It's 988. 988. And I think what everyone needs to know is don't overcomplicate this. Yeah. I When we started, I, I, I tell people when I give talks, people will drink out of a straw, but they won't drink out of a fire hose. Mm-hmm. If you've not done anything about this for now for 50 years, you can't come in and flood people and overwhelm them and cram shit down their throat. Yeah. Now, kind of, you know, the 988, you call it and you're the person in need. What happens to, like, are you going to, you know, in some people's eyes, what's going to happen to me next? Like, I just call this number. They're going to walk me through it. But one of the I cops going to show are they up come and all of a sudden you're going to turn into the Illinois, you know. Yeah. Nope, it's completely anonymous. You don't have to give them your number. You don't have to tell them where you're at. Nobody's going to come and get you and haul you away. It's just a counseling line that you can talk to to get guidance. Right. You know, it's kind of almost like the same situation of, uh, you know, hugs, not cuffs. You know, kind of you can walk right in, you know, if you're in drug addiction or whatever, and you can walk right into a police station right now and be like, I need help, you know, without being arrested and all that, you know, and find you some help. So. So on the note of what's going to happen, I want to go back to when you finally told your story for the very first time. I'm sure 
that was a really uncomfortable, huge cliff to leap off of by telling that story. Can you talk about the reactions in the room? Was it a bunch of people that started rolling their eyes and balking at your story? Was it people that were uh, were judging you? What was the reaction that you got when you finally told your story? Because I think a big fear of a lot of people is talking to people about their issue is that they're going to be judged. Stone dead silence and not a word was said. Oof, that's uncomfortable. What what um, was it like leading up to that uh, talk? You know, what was going through your mind? For you personally, yeah. Yeah, like, obviously you're getting ready to admit the biggest thing that's held you back in your life. What was that getting ready to talk? There wasn't any because I didn't plan on telling I was the plan was I was going to tell him on January 3rd of 22 we were going to start this new program and that was it and for whatever reason it just felt right it seemed like the time uh, I told him if you would have asked me walking into that room are you planning on telling people today about that night I would have looked at you you know like you were a two-headed deer or something yep. I mean I had no plan it just it just happened and then then I eventually, sitting in the backyard in October, Stacy looked at me and I had tears in my eyes and she said, what's going on? And I said, I'm going to tell you a story that I've never told you. And I told 16 people at work first, probably should have told you before I told them, but hey, that's timing, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and I, I told her and she looked at me and she said, how do you feel now? And I said, I feel like I can finally breathe. Mm-hmm. Wow. I feel like this weight of bricks has been lifted off of me. So then. That was one of my questions. So there's this very uncomfortable, awkward silence after you tell your story for the first time. What did you feel? Did you feel uncomfortable and awkward? Did you feel judged? How did you feel after you told your story? Relieved and somewhat proud. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I I harp on that is that I think fear holds so many people back from talking to someone. I'd walk over to the chair and give you a big hug like that. That's where I'm at. It's uh, I, I think so many people let fear hold them back when it comes to talking to someone. And and here, Vince, you are as a person who has gone through this actual situation. And you're saying on the backside of that, let me ask you this. Had someone said something negative, do you think that would have had an impact on the feelings that you felt of relief? I guess where I'm going with that is, was the moment more about the reception of what you said, or was it more about what you were able to accomplish in that moment? I think it was about what I was able to accomplish, to be able to say that, hey, I was going to kill myself, or hey, I'm an alcoholic, or hey, I'm a drug, whatever that is for that particular person. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one question you all haven't asked is, what did my boss think? Yeah. Where did that go? He wasn't in the room, was he? Or was he? Was he one of those 16 people? He wasn't. And none of those people really told anyone. But uh, we were at a peer group meeting. We're in this group with um, seven, eight other contractors from around the country down in West Palm Beach, Florida, the breakers. 
And during the meeting, one of the contractors in the room wanted to talk about suicide because he had just lost two employees to suicide. And a guy leaned over into my ear and he said, anyone that would do that has chemical imbalances, they're wired wrong, or they're crazy, there's something not right about them. Mm -hmm. He said it to me in my ear. Shit. So I said, time out, stop the meeting. I said, I'm going to tell you all something that not even my boss, the owner at the end of the table knows. And I'm thinking, hey, this will be the last damn president of Ajax. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Here we go. <laughs> and so I, I told him, and when I finished, they uh, they clapped, and I said, hey, I'm not looking for your applause. I'm just looking for you to acknowledge. This is a fucking this problem. Can this can happen to anyone. This happened to a, a guy that's probably had one of the most phenomenal lives of most people in America. Yeah. And it happened to me. So don't say that it happened to people that that aren't mentally right, that, that people are crazy. One, we should never say crazy. And um, so we finished the meeting, and we got up, and we were walking down the hall. And I've got a TEDx talk out there. If, if you watch the TEDx talk, this is the closing line. And as we walked down the hall, the owner of the company put his arm around me. And he said, I'm proud of you. That was power. Wow. And this is the guy that you were afraid of telling because he was going to oust you in your mind. In my mind. Yep. In my mind. And the other interesting thing that came out of that day is... And I can tell you this story now because it's come out. Otherwise, I wouldn't tell you this story. One of the gentlemen came up to me at dinner, and he said, I want to tell you my sister took her life, but we don't talk about it to anyone, and nobody really knows that she did. They think mm -hmm. it was an accident. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, another gentleman in the room calls me, and he says, hey, I just want you to know my sister took her life, and so I kind of understand. Mm. That's an... January, February, and then August, we're at our next meeting. And the first gentleman says, hey, after we left that meeting, we came back here and I told everybody what really happened mm. with my sister. And we're addressing it now as a, a company. We're addressing mental health and suicide. So I've told everyone. And the other gentleman in the room said, well, hey, just so you know, my sister took her life too. Wow. And I said, wow. I said, I have been holding this in now for seven months thinking what a resource you two could be for each other yeah. and i'm so happy now that you know it so yeah. you can talk together. that's all it takes you, you know it's it's crazy because again the power of the mind <laughs> you you put yourself in this little box as someone who's struggling that i'm the only one i'm this this weirdo over here to the side that's apart from everyone else and and the reality is it doesn't take a chemical imbalance. It doesn't take you being a crazy person. It's just people struggle and people need help processing through things. And, and it could second, be things that you think, you know, financial or you did something wrong. It's it's anything. anything. Like you could have stole a fruit roll up in first grade and, and, and be stressing about it. it. Yeah, it it, but, it hits it people but, different. But the reality is, yeah, the reality is the second you get past the fear and talk to someone, you realize all of a sudden, oh, there's this whole other group I'm now a part of that also has struggled in this area. 
you're not isolated. You're not alone. You're not this outcast. It's no, there's, this is yeah. a, this is a, the, the sad common thing is, problem. well, I was about to say the sad thing is this is a common problem, Yep. but we just don't like to talk about it. Um, among the Caucasian population, where does homicide rank as far as deaths in this country? Very low. I, I want to say Very it's. Oh, really? yeah. Homicide? Homicide. Oh, I, I want to say that's pretty high. I was, high. Say, I, I was Woo, saying murder. He missed right. podcast. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I'm like two I'm or back. three. Homicide's like number 20. Oh, is it really? Suicide, I think, is number nine. Right. But how often do we talk about suicide? But every day you turn the TV on, there's that's, something about... That's uh, where my brain was at, yeah. Different among the African-American population. Homicide is either, I think it's number nine or it might be number seven. Wow. So that's a whole other topic for a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, Vince, you're a type A person and you're always seeking that new dopamine. This has to be one of your biggest highlights and thrills today. You probably received the most dopamine you've ever received in your life in the last year and a half. I gave my first talk to the women of asphalt on a podcast. I guess it would have been in March of 22, but it was really, it was really in about December of 22 before I started talking a lot around places. Um, one, I'm not charging anyone to talk, so I'm not doing it to make, I've not had a single penny given to me. My, my company pays my airfare and gets my hotel rooms. A couple places have paid for my hotel rooms. So, Vince Hayfley heading out on the professional speaking tour, getting rich doing this and doing it yeah. free and my company paying for it. So I think it's important that people know that. This has been the most rewarding thing that I have done to go talk and have men come up to me sitting in the bar in the evening and want in Boston a few weeks ago, a big old burly guy comes up and sits down beside me and he said, Hey, during your talk, you didn't say who, who called you that night. And I told him, we talked about it. And he said, mine was my, my daughter. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I, I was injured from work, hooked on pills, sitting in the living room with a shotgun. Oof. My two year old walked in and said, daddy, Jesus loves you. And I love you. Wow. I get those stories all the time, and I, yeah. and I get the not so good stories. A local contractor called me yesterday, but I need some help. One of our employees took his life two days. Hmm. But it's, <clears throat> my goal is that nationally, the suicide rate in construction by the end of 2026 will be going the other direction, even if it's only down to 45.2. Yeah, 45. yeah, yeah. You're making. A change, a difference, hidden home. Uh, you know the uh, under under in a normal conversation, I would say the funny thing is, but to say the funny thing doesn't seem appropriate. No, the weird thing is about this whole topic is going back to in the very beginning of this podcast, we were talking about that that camaraderie, the brotherhood of being in the trades, and it's there. It's there. It is there. But I would almost argue on this front. Now it's more about the machismo than it is the actual 
you're going to be judged if you talk to someone because I, I man, I think back to all of the job sites I work on and I can think of at least four to five people that if I was struggling with and I really, truly now this is coming from a healthy mental place, obviously like, like I've been talking about your brain does some weird things when you get in this space, but from a healthy place, I can think back and at least four to five people on every single one of those jobs, I could have walked over and talked to them and they absolutely even if it was uncomfortable, would have listened to me and done what they could to help me. And, and just again, to reiterate, if you're struggling in this area, talk to someone because I promise you the reaction you think you're going to get is not going to be the reaction you get out of the person you start talking to because people around you, Vince, did people around you come forward and start showing that they cared for you when you started talking about this or did they largely start giving you a wide berth whenever you walked down the hallway? Oh no. I mean, I got emails from people that said I've lost several family members to suicide. I once stopped my mother after listening to you realizing that it can happen to someone like you. I no longer have to live in shame of, of my family. I no longer have to be ashamed of who I am and where I came from. Mm. And the, I, the, the, the superintendent that I, I told you, <clears throat> talked to his equipment operator that day that came back six months later. Well, after they got into the conversation, you know what the one guy said? Hmm. Hey, I've got a problem too now that I realize. And they actually both went and got help. So I would tell you that most of the time when you go to talk to people about your struggles, the majority of the time, they're going to say, pal, you're not alone. Yeah. And I'd have to say... And you don't even need to get to the point to being... To the point that you're going to commit suicide. No. If absolutely. you start feeling depressed or yes. something's riding on your yeah, shoulders... It doesn't have to be the extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it happens... Nip people, it in the butt in the beginning. Sometime in your life, it's going to happen to you almost in any situation, whether young or old like there will be a time in your life and it could teet it could teeter-totter either direction yeah Here, let me use a statistic that'll help support some of this hey and I, I hope there's a million women listening to this so this is in no way meant to be bad but what do men historically say about women the gabber mouth they can't shove they can't see secret they all want to talk they all Men in this industry die at a rate of 45.3 per 100,000. Mm-hmm. Women, 9.4. Wow. Wow. They talk. And they share. Yeah. They are lower than the national average. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> That's quiet. I mean, that's the number. That's not mine. That's the yeah, it's That's real. That's real. So, Vince, how much longer do you think you have in your career, in your mind, at Ajax? Well, the owner of the company in July asked me to stay another eight years, which would make me 69 years old. And I looked at him and said, wow, that's a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I said, why don't we shoot for four and see if you both want us here. But, hey, I work, I have a phenomenal owner that I worked for, Mike Curran. He started Ajax in Florida for Ajax, Michigan, when he came down here. And he's letting me do 
I mean, for the next two weeks, I'll be traveling, giving talks at different places. Uh, we all have a shelf life. Mm-hmm. I probably continue to do what I can do as long as I'm relevant. And I'm, I'm relevant because I'm on the board of directors for the asphalt contractors in Florida. I'm relevant because I'm on the Napa board of directors. I do stuff with Art. Once I retire, nobody's ever going to remember who Ben Safely was. Oh, I don't believe that. So uh, my drive to keep working, other than the flipping stock market, keeps going backwards every day, and I don't have any <laughs> money to iron anymore. So that's a different topic. Right. Um, I hope to be around at least another four, five, six years. I was going to think. Do you, do you think people in your uh, your your uh, company think that there should be term limits? <laughs> Kind of well, like the government. <laughs> funny, I told you earlier that there's a guy that probably had good in line to replace me. And we were talking the other day, and he said, hey, I hope you don't go anywhere for another three or four years because I got things I want to learn for you. He said, but I hope you're not here eight more years. <laughs> <laughs> Come on and scoot. Right. So I did want to circle back to something you said earlier. Uh, you were talking about the the night you went out in your truck was the darkest night, but you've had other dark times and a year and a half ago, you had a dark time. So I think for a lot of people, they're under the impression that you went through this really hard phase and then you talked about it and it's rainbows and butterflies and it's a happy ending ever after. But you clearly said that you still struggle. You struggled a year and a half ago. Can you talk more about that? Does it go away? Yeah. Does it, do, do you ever get to the other side to where this is no longer a problem? It's just fine. Some people might, probably more people don't that do. I've never been to that deepest point since then. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the summer of 21, when I was beginning to get into the research, which gets kind of deep in my research, I interviewed people that had lost someone to suicide. So I sat with these people and listened to their stories about their father and what he did, or their sons, what they did. And I would sit, hey, I'm where I'm at right now. I'm in my backyard with deer around me, turkeys, no street lights. it's dark. I would sit out here and I would think at two in the morning when I couldn't sleep, will it really be this peaceful in the end? Mm-hmm. Will it just be this, will all the pain, will all the bullshit, will all the traffic, will all the politics, will, will, will it just be this peaceful? And um, I was, I just wasn't happy. Um, but I did then what I didn't do before. I talked to my wife about, about it. Hey, I'm struggling. I've, uh, I mean, I actually drove to Kentucky and Tennessee and was looking for a place to live. We were going to sell everything and just get away and start all over. Well, that wasn't the answer. Running away is not the answer. Yeah, just running away. Yeah, I mean, and then eventually in uh, late 21, a few months after that, well, actually it may have been in 22, I ended up going to see a therapist because uh, one of my professors wanted me to. And I don't think we talked about that. Hey, I wasn't going to go see a therapist because what kind of man... 
I, you know what? Right. I, I was going to call you out because because from someone in the trades. Goddamn, Vince, you went and saw a therapist. My pussy. God, what a what a giant pussy. <laughs> Well, what a ridiculous I, stigma. I was, more, I was more of a pussy for not going than I was. Yeah, but it's that's, it. that's what we're getting at. <laughs> that's it. And, and I will tell you, hey, for, for those of you who've never gone to one, here's how it works. You go the first time, and it's like you're going on a date with a woman for the first time. You get, you're filling each other out and what makes you tick, and you're kind of talking. And then you go back the second time, and you learn a little more. And then you walk in the third time, and she looks at you, and she says, you suffer from anxiety, depression, ADD, and you're controlling. Fuck! I didn't. Well, I didn't know what the hell to say. I didn't think I had any problems. She called you a fucking narcissist. Told... So let yeah. me ask you this: Could you move after she nailed you to the wall that much? <laughs> I came home and told my wife. I always thought you were the crazy one in the family. <laughs> I said, I don't know if I'll ever go back. Yeah, a little perspective yeah. shift for you. <laughs> it scares you. It scares you. It, it scared me, and I went back. I, I hey, I was going to go two weeks later, but I waited a month. And when I went in and saw her, I told her, I said, what you did last month hurt. It cut like a knife. Because I said, hey, the controlling part, I get that. Because I didn't get to where I got in my career without being controlling. Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, I'll check that box. I agree with you on that one, right? I said, but the depression and anxiety. And she said, hey, look, we have to have labels to talk from. I didn't yeah. say you were mad impressive. <laughs> I didn't say you were schizophrenic. Yeah. I just said you suffered from then. I mean, what's depression? Do you know? Hey, I'm not a psychologist again, but the general definition of depression, and I'll get this close, but it won't be 100% right. So for those of you who want to fact check me, I'm pleading ignorance at this point. Well, I'm sitting here with my phone to the mic. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> it's when you go through two weeks of being out of the norm of how you would have normally behaved. So. So that's like 90% of the trades. <laughs> if, you, if you're sad for a day or two, that's not depression. But if you got something that's eating at you for two weeks and affecting what you normally do, that's depression. So yeah. how many people have not had that? How many people have lost a father or lost a school friend or lost a spouse or lost a child? And you're kidding yourself if you think that you weren't somewhat depressed. But, but you know, you can sprain your wrist. Or you can fracture your wrist, or you can break it, or you can have a compound fracture. They're all different, and one, the fourth one's worse than the first one, right? Yep. So just because someone has depression doesn't mean that they're off the chart. So They're just, they're just in a tough spot. But yeah. there are some people that really need help with depression, but not everyone. That was something that really stuck out to me in our first conversation that we had on the dirt was and i don't even know if it took place on the actual dirt or if it was our discussion afterwards but you were talking about you know mental health has such a stigma and, and i think that's what a huge part of it is where you know especially as men i ain't gonna go talk to a counselor and and we pass it off as not being a pussy but but the reality is i think we don't want to admit that there's something wrong, wrong. and and Vince, I can't remember exactly the way you worded it, but it was along the lines of if you break your arm and you go to the doctor to get it fixed, is it something wrong with you or are you damaged in a way? It's not the it's not something inherently about you as a person that's wrong. It's 
your physical thing, your physical being is broken and you need to get it fixed. It's just like taking your car into the mechanic. And I'm, I, I'm way off of what you originally said, Vince, but along the same lines, mental health is looked at in this totally different light, but it's really the same thing. You having a mental health problem, it's not your broken inherently as a human being. It can be fixed. It's something that is a little off that you need to go talk to someone that can help you get it back on track working right again. And I think that's where, especially as men with this machismo, I'm not going to talk to a counselor. I don't suffer from depression. Depression is for bitches. That whole mentality, you have to take it back to, that's not admitting that you're some sort of a failure or you're broken somehow. It's, no, the, the timing's off on the engine and we need to go just get it tweaked a little bit. Yep. That's the way you should be looking at it, but we don't look at it that way. Well, for starters, there's a difference between mental health and mental illness. And this may have been what we talked about a little bit before. Yep. Just like there's a difference between physical health and a physical injury, right? We want people to talk about mental health in a positive way. We want people to be positive. When I interviewed all the is I would ask them when I say mental health, what comes to mind, bipolar, schizophrenia, all that stuff. And I would tell them, no, that's mental illness. I asked you what mental health was. Yet when I said mental health, we all go straight to the negative, right? Yep. Yeah. That's what we think of when we think of mental health. Oh, that's a bad thing. That's a taboo topic. I'm not going to talk about that one. But uh, let me ask you this. If you, if you own a construction company, okay, we do a lot of paving here in Florida. I give a guy a, a stop sign, stop and go paddle. I'm not sure if I want that guy that day protecting the 15 guys in front of him. If he's having an off day mentally because on the way to work, he found out his mother has breast cancer. Yeah. I want that guy to step forward and say, hey, boss, let me tell you what happened. And I'm struggling a little bit today. And me give the paddle to someone else and not tell that guy, hey, go home. And when you get to fucking figure it out, come back and maybe we'll have a job for you. Yeah. So we're going to find a spot here today to help you, to keep you out of harm's way. And more importantly, I don't want you to injure all these other guys uh, out here. Yeah. yeah. Compliment people for telling us they're struggling and not crucify them. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And I tell you, that is something about our industry. Because I tell you right now, if I call into work... I just think about, man, there's one foreman, Don. Don was my foreman, that he was the epitome of a foreman. And I called Don and told him, I cannot come in because I can't stop puking. No problem. Take the day off. Don, I'm having a really hard time today. I'm depressed. I'm really down. I'm not mentally competent. That boy, the reaction would be night and day. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I was running a loader on a pipe crew, I had laborers down in the trench. I was working in live traffic on very busy roads with 55, 60 mile an hour traffic right off of the ass of my loader. I am constantly in around the excavator that's swinging all over the place. And you're telling me that you want me to run this thing? You want me to run this thing, even though I'm telling you actively, I am way preoccupied with the shit that's going on in my life. There's just the reaction is night and day. Yeah. And I think that's one of the primary things we have to change in the traits is we have to put the same 
the same weight on mental health issues that we do on physical health issues. And we go down that path by getting the leaders of the company to say we're going to do that. Yep. And then getting rid of the foremen that don't fall in line with it. There's some promotions coming. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say that is that is where I do feel like the trades are it, slowly starting to come about. It's, it's good to it hear that he's at the top and he acknowledges it, sees it, and is implementing it from the top down. So that it's not stigma. It's not just pushed aside. And if the top's talking about it, then the guys in the field that are pushing the jobs will see that it's okay to be like, all right, take the day off or, hey, go go over there and run the broom or whatever. Instead of the, you know. Well, that's actually a, a really good question for you, Vince, is being the guy at the top that's talking actively about this on a daily basis. Uh, what are some of the changes that you've seen within Ajax when it comes to mental health? A lot more open conversations about the topic of people coming forward and asking for help. We never used to use any of our employee assistance program hardly. We probably have someone now about every five weeks asking for a resource of someone to talk to or yeah. something to do, uh, more togetherness of, of the people. You know, it, 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 hey, we're, we're not perfect by no means are we perfect, so right. I'm not saying. Yeah, and, no. And we, you know, we'll tell somebody, hey, we're going to have some training next week, and we want this guy from the paving crew to come in, and we want him to be part of the training. So what does the foreman say? Well, I can't send him in because we won't be able to pave. Yep. We won't be able to get any work done if he's not here. Correct. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a double edged, say, it's a double-edged sword. Well, yeah, but then I say, well, hey, if he was home sick today, puking and throwing up, like you said a while ago, and he couldn't come in, what would you do? Well, hey, we'd have to make it work. Yeah, right. We can do without him if he's sick, but we can't do without him if he's going to go to training, and we can't do without him if he's having a mental health day. You know what it is? Is because that person knows that they're not going to be there. So they're the, the uh, how do I want to say it? The knee-jerk reaction? Yeah, like, oh, we'll figure it out. The figure it out on the moment, in the time, at the moment, you can figure it out. But when you got to think about it all night, you're like, oh, shit. When you're voluntarily giving somebody a mental health day. Yeah. Right. Well, then I think they all worry about nothing's going to get done ever. (laughs) Well, and I I do think, and it's fun to talk to Vince here with Ajax whatnot, but the schedules are so demanding on a lot of these jobs that the industry as a whole and not just being a contractor the schedule has to loosen up a little bit. Holding people to the fire to meet certain deadlines. And I understand we have to meet deadlines. We can't prolong this job forever. But we have to loosen up a little bit on some of the schedules because you can't take the employees and just ratchet them right down to meet that grinding schedule. Because it's funny, when this whole thing started, he stated Sarasota, Florida. And he's talking about the highway, and I'm sitting there thinking, and we went on through the whole thing, and the most struggling jobs, like we're held to the fire because the owner wants this place open. And I'm sitting back like, man, 2014, I built the UTC mall right off of 75 in Sarasota, Florida. And my feet, I've been on a lot of jobs in my life, and I've been on some tight deadlines, but the pressure from above, the people that... 
you got to get this mall open tomorrow or else. And I was like, I knew that was coming in three months. I'm like, dude, there's no way this is going to happen. You know, we failed this. We failed that. We failed this. And thinking back to that day, like I drank myself to oblivion every night. Mm-hmm. I'd get up. I'd, I was working seven twelve, seven twenties. Like I was working around the clock going, um, you know, go to the bar, drink for a while. And I was like, I can't go back to my hotel because I got to go back and get this job done. You know, and just sit in the job trailer and be like, how are we going to get this done? And there's nothing else that could ease your mind or numb it, but alcohol at that time. Yeah. And, you know, I was never to the point of suicide, but at the same time, it was like, dude, I remember going into my project manager, you know, of the whole jobs trailer and being like, and it was a woman. And I was like, what do I do? I am overwhelmed. And I just start bawling my eyes out. And I was, she's like, well, I what's don't her know. Reaction? She, she's like, I don't have an answer for this. We're all in the same boat, but she, she gave, came up and gave me a hug and we're still best friends to this day, you know, and she's the most amazing project manager, you know, boss I've ever had in my life. But being a superintendent and being held to the fire and seeing that this is not doable. And all of a sudden the day that the grand opening came, we weren't done, but that fucking building opened up and it was like, wait, wait, we didn't, you know, money, money talk. Mm-hmm. The pressure is like, if I knew that was going to happen, I, it would have been the best job in my life. I drive by that. When we go down to Florida, I'm like, <sighs> that fucking you know, job. I have these <laughs> like the oh, nightmares of that, that place. But, but yeah, talking about like things you want to be proud of that you built it well, and we built that well. But at the same time, you have all those thoughts and you know demons on your shoulder of what was going on in that project. And then that was just me. And there was thousands of people working around the clock on that job and being held to the fire. And I was holding them to the fire. Like, yeah. So Vince, have you seen? Obviously, that's my Ajax, story. There's a nice one, Todd. Ajax is a pretty big dominant force up here when it comes to paving and down in Florida. Have you guys seen the schedules be loosened up a little bit? Is that something that is obviously possibly getting even talked about? Or is this just going to be the way the construction is and the schedule is always going to be ratcheted tight as it possibly could be and it's not going to change? At the end of the day, a business needs to make money. Correct. And time is money. And schedules are money. But yeah. you could still make money and not run everybody into the ground Correct. every that's, single day. That's the day. problem. That's where my brain was going. The yeah. industry right now is geared towards it's gotta be done just churn. Uh, Brandon Anderson with the Associated General Contractors out of Missouri, he gives a lot of talks on mental health. And part of what he's trying to promote is that this can't just be fixed by contract. Yep. owner's responsibility as well yeah to this issue and for owner to allow some schedule time in there to allow workers to have some work-life balance but that costs money right if yeah. you can build university town mall in three years but i tell you you can have four years to build it where you're going to charge me more if it takes four years correct yep that, that's one of the difficult things to tackle in our industry is because if you try to be one of the leaders to go out there and make the change, unfortunately, that means you're going to shoulder the cost, which means you're going to be the higher bid, which means you're not not going to secure the contracts. And that's where 
as an industry, and we've talked about it multiple times on this show, the crazy hours that we work. That's that's one of the other things that, that I was thinking about early on in this podcast is you want to talk about some of the, on top of all of the other struggles you're going through in life, the things that this industry adds on, you've got astronomical pressure to perform. You've got the fact that you're working crazy hours away from your family. You've got the fact that you don't see your kids for two to seven days at a time, or or if you're you on jobs where you travel, grow up. That's the thing. You don't even get to see them grow up, depending on the industry you're in. Like there's so many other factors on top of what you're dealing with on a personal level that this industry compounds on top of. Like it's no wonder we have mental health issues right and left. Because we add so much pressure as an industry, and that's the hard one that I don't know how to really address and fix is how can the industry step up and really go, we've got to just take everything and pump the brakes and allow people to have an, a life outside of work. Which I, I'm going against the grain right now. You know, I think the, you know, projects need to get done. They, they're always going to have a tight schedule. That's never going to change, you know, just because weather you know, situations of that. But the thing is, I think just making it known that you can talk about this will help out immensely is the thing is no one's talking about. So it's held up. And then that's, you know, jobs, jobs, I bet would go faster and better if people were able to express their feelings, talk about the shit that's going on at home and it's okay. Yeah. Taking a day off day off here and there, that's acceptable, but like you got to be there. People got to be there to do work, but I think they will be there tenfold if they didn't have the weight on their shoulders of what they're bringing to the job site. If they well, were what's able really to talk fascinating about is, would you agree, Vince? Th- well, I would argue that if you gave me a six month job you were going to do, I could probably do it in six and a half months and make more money than you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Because I wouldn't work as much overtime as you do. I wouldn't have as many quality issues and go backs as you do. Bingo. The guys would have some, a weekend here and there to spend with their family and would be appreciative and revved up when they come back to work on Monday. So, yeah, you got to give some people some time. Yeah. Well, and that's where, where I was about to go is there have been multiple companies that I've come across that have gone the route of a four-day work week or a five-day strict work week. Uh, with working, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day, but you're strict, you're only going to work four to five days a week. And what they found is the quality of work and the production level that they're getting out of their employees is actually outpacing what they were getting with a six or seven day work week because the employees are just generally in a better disposition. Yeah. So no, I, everyone doesn't hate work when they show up. So when I was running jobs as a superintendent, I turned two of my jobs into four tens. Yep. That, that was me, but I, that was, I was a general contractor. So the thing is I didn't have say in what the subcontractors were doing, the guys on my job, I'm like, they're going to bust their ass. They're doing great. They loved it. But what happened? They, they, they had Friday off Yep. from my job, but their company was making them go work somewhere else, somewhere else. Yep. And that's what really got me. I was like, how can I win this battle? Yeah. Like, I was yeah. winning because I was there for, four twelves, you know, cause I was there before and after, but I'd have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off and I'd come back like, yeah, guys, what do you guys do this weekend? We were fucking overtime and we went on another job and this, and it was like, damn it. Yeah. It didn't work. Like well, I was, I was 
trying to get them on the same page as me. Like, hey, you're only on my job. Nope. Well, that's where the the industry has got to get away from this whole mentality of the schedule dictates all. It's got to be the emphasis is on the people, not on the schedule. Yeah. And I, I don't know how you change that. Uh, you can't be a leader in that area or you go out of business because yep. of the cost you, you take on. Mm-hmm. So, so, so Vince, as we start to wrap up here, uh, I guess I've got one really big question. I guess two really big questions. Uh, the first is when you were really going through your struggles, what would you have wanted to hear? What would have had an impact from a coworker or a friend or your wife or well, re- well, I come at it from the, the perspective right. because we're on sweat and grime here of really as a coworker, if, if fuck, if I know Rick's, if I'm picking up on the vibes that Rick's really struggling, like as Vince, who's actually been in that position, how could I approach you in a way that's not going to be hurtful that's not going to be intrusive. How could I approach you in a way that's really me saying, hey, I care about you and I'm worried about you. I want to help. Well, we're not an industry for the most part that can go hug and Absol- get all sure. good. Absolutely. So, just a, uh, hey, you seem off. Is everything Okay. I mean, talk to me. I, I'm here for you. I mean, yeah. just a, just a compassionate ask. And you know what I probably would have said? Hey, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. I know. Yeah. Well, so ask me again tomorrow or maybe in three days. You can't just ask once. Yep. And, and for those people that don't want to ask. The walls. The, the wall is because, built. Because it's uncomfortable. Well, how do you feel if you don't ask me on Friday and you found out on Monday I killed myself over the weekend and yep. you say to yourself, God, I wish I would have asked. Yeah. You can go through that five minutes of uncomfortableness asking or you can live with that the rest of your life knowing you should have. Yep. Mm, that's powerful. Wow. I had a neighbor five years ago. He owned a uh, uh, a mold remediation company. He's working for a big university whatever big company doing great awesome we'd sit down every thursday night the whole neighborhood we'd all sit at you know the round table have a bonfire whatever drink beers talk about whatever and everything was happy everything was good business was good for everybody and he was always quiet for a second when we were talking about that but then we talked about just like fun stuff he'd chirp in one thursday we all were sitting around the table like where the hell is he at and all of a sudden, my one neighbor, he's a police officer. He gets a call from somebody. He's like, I think Chris is doing something weird. I was like, what? What? And all of a sudden, he just got up and sprinted across our yards all the way over to his house. And in between that time, you just hear, mm. and we're like, what the hell just happened? That was it. And next thing you know, it, we found out he committed suicide. Yep. Mm. Right on his back porch hmm. it was like dude that, that it was like we were all here from like we listened we talked but at the same time he was holding so much in like you know business wasn't doing great payroll was hard to make for everybody else but the thing is he was living so freaking lavishly and ultimately though that people, was killing him yeah but people ultimately do want to help other people yeah yeah and i and i feel anybody really wants to help somebody now vince 
looking in the mirror today and looking at the man that you see, what advice would you give yourself today? Today or what advice would have I given if I could go back? Today. What would you give your 30-year-old self? Or today? Today. That it takes more of a man to talk about your struggles than it does to cover them up? Yeah. That, man, that's, that resonates. That's truth. So, so my second question that I was going to ask is, as someone who was in that position, Vince, what would you have wanted from your coworkers? Is there anything that your coworkers could have done that could have just sent even a subtle signal of, hey, I'm here for you if you ever want to talk? Hey, what are you doing after work? I want to go shoot some hoops. Hey, you want to go down and have a beer on the way home? You want to sit and talk? Getting out of that normal setting, that normal grind we were in every day, yep. probably would have opened up some conversation that we didn't have at work. Uh, just getting me in a different environment. Yep. Um, and again, I mean, it's. I think we try to overcomplicate a lot of the just talk. I mean, simple questions. Hey, what's going on in your life? Hey, how are the kids done? Um, what do you think? What do you think you're going to be doing in five years? Yep. Yeah. And, hey, and if they say something, you know, like, I don't even know if I want to be here in five years. Well, yeah. that tells you something, right? Yeah. Um, because we all have dreams and aspirations and, and they may be small or they may be huge, but just getting me into a different environment and, and talking and it may not have happened the first day yeah wow hmm. one thing i, I want to hit on that i hit on everywhere and i know it's been an hour and 50 minutes you're probably about ready to go no, no we're, you're, we're you're here fine. we're here we for got four all hours the time we in care. the world this is amazing we all need to learn to not say people commit suicide because people don't commit suicide. People die by suicide or people take their lives. It's okay to say that they died by suicide, but people don't commit to suicide any more than people commit to having a heart attack or commit to having a broken leg. What people do commit are crimes of all kinds, robberies, burglaries, homicides. So when you, you tell someone I'm sorry, your son committed suicide. You're insinuating that the son was a bad person. He yeah. did something criminal, and it's not criminal in Western civilization anymore to take your life. And beyond that, putting the word committed with it and mental health further stigmatizes that mental health is a bad topic that we don't want to discuss. So just, hey, and I still say, but just try to remember to say, hey, you know, my the guy that played cards with us died by suicide over at his house or he took his life again it's okay to say that they died by suicide or took their life because that's a fact yeah and we don't want to cover it up people learn from it but trying not to say committed because that kind of insinuates they were a bad person yeah <laughs> interesting well vince i'm going to wrap it up with with my show question uh and okay. i think this is going to have a lot more depth than a lot of our our regular listeners previous people what what is your purpose and you can take that as shallow or as deep as you want 
Well, I might cry. That's okay. That's, totally That's fine. okay. We, we're, I think we're we've here. established on this show. Like I said, if you're sitting across man. us in our studio, I'd give you a freaking big yeah. motherfucking Matt Totten hug. I guess if I go back to what that superintendent told me a couple of years ago, um, that happened to you, and that's why you're here today to talk to this young man. Yeah. So what's my purpose? Um, I hope that when I am finished here and here being on Earth or at Ajax or wherever here is, that people will say there was a man that had compassion for people. He had compassion for the industry. He wanted to make a difference. And he did. Hmm. Love it. Well, you are. I, I was going to say, yeah. I, man, I feel like with the conversations that are going out here and on the dirt and all of the speeching, uh, speeches that you're doing, the sp- public speaking, you're making And just a for our listeners, I know there's a handful out there probably that needed this. And we... We all need it. You know, just it's an eye opener well, well, to help and if you or really, help yourself, help others. If like, you really step back and look at it from a high level, if you help that one guy that you talk to, you can hit me. Uh, fuck to, to hang my hat on the fact that I helped save one life during my life. I feel like, uh, boy, I can hang it up at that point. Like that's that's a, or just keep going. Well, absolutely, keep going. But at the same time, I go, even if you just helped one person, I feel like that was a life worth living. You got to remember, that came from the lightning liberal over there. That's one true. Person, the light, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. Lightning liberal out. <laughs> it's a good thing he's not a type A person. Now, Vince, do you have anything else you want to say to let sink in for all of our listeners and the people out there in the industry before I ask my final question? Don't think that you're unique if you're struggling, because in today's world, if you're not struggling, you're kind of an anomaly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're almost unique if you aren't struggling. I'm an anomaly. (laughs) Just joking. (laughs) Our our politics suck. Our inflation sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's just... We can go on and on and on. (laughs) Healthcare, higher education. Let's end this podcast and start a new one. Yeah, <laughs> you got time. <laughs> so, but uh, no, that's. So you're not unique. So what's your final question? So my final question to end the podcast has been amazing. We appreciate you coming on. This has been, it's been glorious. And hopefully it's eye opening for all of our listeners out there that if you need help, reach out, get talk, help, get help. Don't, don't think you're alone. We're here to help. If you want to reach out to us, I'm always sitting on Instagram waiting for you guys to just chirp in. Are you but, closing it out or are you no, asking a question? With this final question, <laughs> with this final question, if you could change anything, what would your dream job be? What would my dream job be? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, well, one, I'm not ready to leave Ajax, but if I was and if I could go start my next career, it would be going deeper into this, giving more talks, not just to the construction industry. Yeah. But I've done some with um, Tampa General Hospital, for instance. Just changing how 
organizations treat their people and educate leaders on leading with empathy and compassion and realizing that in the morning we all put our pants on the same way we put one leg in at a time and just because you're at the top doesn't make you any better than the man at the bottom because without the man at the bottom you wouldn't have any money to buy a pair of pants yeah gosh Hmm. that was that was deep and i loved it that was an awesome answer well, thank you again for being on, Vince. Yeah, I, I really it. appreciate the openness, the honesty, the the willingness to share, the vulnerability. And the footwork you're it. doing now it's, to help. This is this is awesome across the world. And it is a worldwide problem in construction. It's not just here. Amen. Absolutely. So, for everyone listening, thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, uh, if anyone is struggling with mental health right now currently in this moment vince that number one more time what is the number for the the suicide line 988 that's it three numbers just dial it 988 y'all it's it's totally anonymous no one's gonna show up no one's gonna throw you in a mental health institution your relatives won't find out just talk to someone and you'll realize that the situation is not as bad as it seems so for everyone thank you as always for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next week on sweat and grind peace